This is a message from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. Grace Church is affiliated with Sovereign Grace Ministries. The Grace Church website is www.gracechurchfrisco.org. The speaker for this message is Craig Cabanis, the senior pastor of Grace Church. We're doing something a little bit different today in the, uh, in the sermon, and that is that uh, I'm teaching a topical message um, as opposed to what would be called an expository message, just teaching from one text. I'm gonna, we're going to look at a number, a, literally a lot of texts today. And so because of that, we printed them out for you with some accompanying quotes and such. So the ushers will pass those out to you. Uh, right now we'll be getting these down the aisle to you, and uh, we'll be able to track with this uh, this morning. Normally, if you're new here, what we normally do is we take a passage of Scripture and we read it, and then we talk about it and try to uh, apply it uh, from a single passage. And what we normally do is teach through sections of Scripture and usually through entire books of Scripture. And we just finished the book of James, for instance, two weeks ago. Um, next week uh, is Easter, obviously, so this is a great time to invite a friend, invite someone out to come hear the gospel, even someone who doesn't know the Lord, ideally someone who doesn't know the Lord. So that'll be next week. And then following that, we're going to start a series on the Ten Commandments. We're going to have 11 sermons on the Ten Commandments. We'll let you figure that out when you come and see how that all works. Um, but we're going to do 11 sermons on the, on the Ten Commandments. That's where we're headed uh, next after the book of James. Um, two books I want to recommend to you that are on the book table uh, that are going to relate to today's message. One is Be Still, My Soul, Embracing God's Purpose and Provision in Suffering. I'm reading this book right now, and it is excellent. It's 25 essays on the topic of suffering. So it has essays from modern people like uh, R.C. Sproul, Tim Keller. Um, It has also uh, essays from folks who lived in the past, John Calvin, uh, John Newton, um, various folks who were gone on to be with the Lord, Martin Lloyd-Jones. So this is a great book. It's been very, very helpful to me on the theme of suffering, which we're going to relate to some today. The second book is called Miraculous Healing, Miraculous Healing by Henry Frost. Uh, this is an outstanding book that stirs faith for biblical passages of Scripture that, um, that, that talk about healing. Now, what I love about this book is that the foreword is written by Johnny Erickson Tata, if you know who she is, she's a quadriplegic who's been prayed for and not healed. So any book on healing that could have someone like her endorse it, I think communicates a lot about the pastoral sensitivity and uh, the balance of the book. So Miraculous Healing, you can get that out on the book table as well. Okay, why don't we pray and then we will uh, jump in. God, we thank you for your presence with us here today. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you're an unchanging God who is glorious in power and compassionate in care for suffering people. And we pray today, Lord, you would speak to us through your Scripture. We pray this would not be merely an intellectual exercise where we are understanding truth, but we, tr- we pray that you would inspire faith towards you in our hearts as we read your Scripture this morning. Thank you, Lord, just even in the first service, the way you met folks who received prayer. And we just pray today, Lord, that we could hear your Word that we could respond to your word, that we could pray, and that you would touch people, Lord, in our midst today. Thank you. I pray that you would give me strength and clarity and that I might serve uh, the church here by teaching your word in a truthful way. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, anybody not get an outline? Great. Um, we'll just track straight through the outline today. Uh, first of all, let me talk a little bit about why I'm teaching on healing. The first reason is we just completed the book of James, and James ends in James chapter 5 uh, with talking about the elders of the church praying for the prayer of faith for sick people. And we taught that. You can get that on the podcast um, you can, uh, or download it from our website from two weeks ago. But in talking about that, I communicated, we wanted to communicate a little more broadly what the Bible teaches about healing. That's one passage. But the Gospels in particular are filled with teaching and narrative passages about physical healing. As a matter of fact, um, if you take the Gospels and you kind of take out the portions where Jesus is directly teaching and you just have the narrative portions which describe, you know, what he's doing and what's going on. If you take the narrative portion of the Gospels, there's 1,257 verses. 484 of them, which is 38%, are devoted to Jesus' healing miracles. 38% of all the narrative passages regarding the life of Jesus in the Gospels have to do with healing. So one reason we want to teach on it is because this is a prevalent aspect of the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we don't want to ignore that truth. Another reason we want to teach on this is simply because people suffer. And people in our midst suffer. And there are ill people here today, I imagine. And there are chronically sick people. There are injured people. There are suffering people here today. And and that matters to us because that matters to God. And so one reason we want to teach on healing is because People are in need of God to touch them physically. Now, this is a sensitive topic. I understand that. It's a sensitive topic because some of us in the room may have been exposed to bad doctrinal teaching on healing. You know, you may have been taught things like that that don't really reflect the Scripture uh, in its entirety. Things like God always heals. It's always God's will to heal. We talked about two weeks ago how that's not the case and had several biblical examples of where that was not the case. So maybe you've been taught that, or maybe you've um, had bad doctrine. Anything associated with healing was, was just flamboyant in your mind. It was just over the top. Uh, it was almost like a circus atmosphere that centered on one guy who was the healer doing his deal at the church or the meeting or whatever it was. And you just said, man, I, I really don't want to be a part of something that is so showy and, and, uh, and seems personality-driven. And so maybe you've resisted because you've seen something bad, or maybe you've been exposed to bad, bad practice regarding healing. You know, there's places where people are full of faith towards Jesus Christ, and they pray for healing, and others pray, and they're not healed, and they're told you don't have enough faith. And so maybe you've lived with a stigma or someone you know has lived with a stigma. Oh, they don't have enough faith because someone made that accusation, judged your heart and made that kind of um, inappropriate accusation perhaps. Or maybe you've been told, well, you know, you've been sick or someone you know has been sick and you have gone to the Lord, confessed your sin, and God doesn't heal you. And someone says, well, it's because you have some hidden sin. You know, it's, it's because of people's hidden sin that they're sick or because they don't have enough faith. You know, those are the reasons, and and the Scripture just is not that simplistic. And so maybe you've been viewed as a 
uh, as a, a, a person guilty of unbelief and, and sin, and that's why you remain sick or someone you know, and you've just got a bad taste in your mouth, understandably, about any kind of teaching on healing and praying for the sick today. Well, I pray today that as we look at some passages in the Gospels that it would eradicate those experiences for you because it would be very sad because of a bad experience or a bad teaching that we miss the truth of what Christ has for us and miss praying for folks who are sick. So it's a sensitive topic, and we just want to say that if you are here and you are suffering, uh, our assumption today is not that you don't have enough faith, and our assumption today is not that there's secret sin in your life, and that's why you're suffering. And uh, so that's not our assumption. I want to let you know that up front. But let's look at the Scripture, and let's see what what God says about healing. And I want to ask this question kind of to begin with is, is, why does God heal? If it's true that 38% of the narrative passages of the Gospels in some way touch healing, which would include, um, which, which would include Jesus uh, expelling demons from people as well. If that's the case, let's ask today, why does God heal? first reason I would mention is that God heals to glorify himself. God heals to glorify himself. Look at Matthew 15 in your outline. Now, this is when Jesus is sitting on a mountain And the passage says, And great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put them at his feet, and he healed them. So that the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing. And they glorified the God of Israel. Do you you see the result? People were bringing sick people to Jesus. And Jesus, by his power, heals them. And the result of that is that perhaps not all, but many of the people gathered respond by glorifying God. They elevate God. They celebrate God. They honor God. That they, they recognize that God is present and active in the person of Jesus Christ, who is God and who is man. They are in awe. The Scripture here says they are in wonder. The crowd wondered And they glorify God. See, one reason that God heals is because often the fruit of that is He is glorified by that activity. Or consider John 9. It says, As He passed by, He saw, Jesus, a man blind from birth. And His disciples asked Him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or His parents, that He was born blind? And Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed through him. And then Jesus heals him and reveals the power of God to him. He says, I once was blind, but now I see my eyes are open, both spiritually and physically. He recognizes God did something and he honors him. The Pharisees get wind of this and they don't respond to God. Matter of fact, they want to kick this guy out of the synagogue. They want, to, they want to accuse and take care of Jesus for doing this. So they're opposed to Christ. But what happens is for those who are inclined to believe, who trust Christ, there is this glorifying. The works of God are on display. The very activity of God among man is present in a healing miracle in this case. And so God is glorified. How is God glorified? God reveals himself, and some people respond, in in this case, the blind man, to him. Or think about the raising of Lazarus, the resuscitation of Lazarus um, from the dead. 
I mean, that's, was that really a healing? Well, that's like an uber healing. I mean, when you're dead and you come back to life, that's pretty much in the category of healing on steroids. That is as powerful a healing as it gets. And it's probably best not to call it a, his resurrection because that happens in the end. We're all resurrected. We receive a glorified body. He doesn't receive a glorified body. He comes back to a human body, um, you know, a living body. So he's maybe better, better to say he's resuscitated. It's a miracle of resuscitation. But Jesus hears that he's sick, and Jesus waits two days to come. He could have come and healed him before he died, but he doesn't. He waits, and when he comes, he's dead, and this is what happens. Then Jesus, in your outline, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, get this, Jesus said to her, didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to him, unbind him and let him go. Now, obviously, God could have ensured that he didn't get sick at all. God could have ensured that he didn't die, but he allowed that to happen, and Jesus delayed his coming so that, as he said, didn't I tell you if you believe, you would see the glory of God, so that through this work of healing, The glory of God was on display. The work of God, the the light of God, the presence of God, the reality of God was on display. Jesus waits and does this miracle so that God's glory may be seen. Again, the point is God heals at times to glorify himself, to glorify himself. In his systematic theology, Wayne Grudem said the following, healing provides opportunity for God to be glorified as people see physical evidence of his goodness, love, power, wisdom, and that's a typo, power. It's not double power, sorry. Got, got double power there in, in my outline. I don't know if you have that, but I have it written down twice. So what he's saying is if we look at the stories of the gospel of healing, I just gave you three, but we could run through, and you would see in other instances as well, that God is glorified. The person and work of God is on display, is demonstrated for the purpose of him receiving the attention, the honor, and the glory that is due him. His character is demonstrated. Not only is his character demonstrated, but his character, his power in relation to man is demonstrated. Not always the case, but usually the healings that take place in the Scripture are those where Jesus is healing a person that is suffering from something that is humanly incurable. Not always. For instance, in in Mark 1, he heals Simon Simon Peter's mother-in-law from a fever. But usually it's more significant uh, illnesses are are healed than that. So things like deafness, um, leprosy blindness, these type of things. And when God's power is demonstrated in those circumstances, it not only reveals that, that God is almighty and is powerful, but it, it puts his power in relationship to man's power, thus demonstrating the glory of God. Now, next on your outline there, I want to note this, that God also seeks to glorify himself in Christians when he doesn't heal as well. 
So when we pray, if we pray for someone and God doesn't heal them, God's glory is still the goal of that in, of that, in that person's life. God displays himself through the Spirit's work of persevering joy in the life of the suffering believer. So where God heals, he seeks to glorify himself by demonstrating his power in that way, by demonstrating his power of lordship over the human body. When God doesn't heal, he also desires to reveal his power by working in the person through sustaining grace so that that person praises God and celebrates God and loves God even in the midst of their suffering. In this book, I oh no, it's, it's not in this book, it's a John Piper sermon, sorry, I'll get to this book in a second. But I have a quote here from a, a published sermon by John Piper where he says, the glory of God is manifested when he heals and when he gives a sweet spirit of hope and peace to the person that he does not heal. For that too is a miracle of grace. Oh, that we might be a people among whom God is often healing our sicknesses, but is always causing us to be full of joy and peace while our sickness remains. I love that heart. I think that's a biblical heart, is that we pray for healing. We desire that. We celebrate it. But we always, when God doesn't grant that, for according to his will, want to pray that, uh, that God would work in us. This book, Miraculous Healing, that I recommended to you, is written really a long time ago. And there's an account in there that the author tells of, um, I think in the early 1900s, when he was with Hudson Taylor. Hudson Taylor was a pioneering missionary into China, well-known, well-known missionary. And uh, Hudson Taylor was actually healed by God uh, as they prayed for him at a time when he was very sick. So Hudson Taylor, at one point in his life and in his ministry, was, uh, was dramatically healed by God of an illness. Later in his life, he got sick again and a sickness that led to death. And uh, God didn't heal him. God took him home in that situation. But what was so powerful in, in that is re- recorded in this book is when he got to the end of his life and he couldn't get up from, the, from a sofa. He kind of li- you know, was uh, lying on a sofa in his house. And he said this to his wife. I put this quote in your outline. He said, I cannot read. I cannot pray. I can scarcely think. But, he added with a smile, I can trust. See, in our weaknesses, we glorify God by trusting Him. Trusting Him. Asking Him for healing, but trusting His will. In this case, He died. God took Him home. But trusting God. You know, what doesn't honor God is not to trust Him. But trusting God honors and pleases God. And even when we are stripped of all physical ability to glorify God, as Hudson Taylor was at the end of his life, we still can trust Him and thus bring Him glory. So why does God heal? Well, one reason is to demonstrate his power and to, and to glorify himself. He desires to glorify himself when he doesn't heal. But one reason he heals is to glorify himself, to draw attention, to create a, an awareness of who he is and what he does. A second reason, Roman numeral three, is that God heals because he is compassionate. <clears throat> he is compassionate. That's important to remember. God's merciful and compassionate. Consider this in Matthew 9. This is one of those ministry summaries. A lot of times in the Bible, in the Gospels, you'll get these little two or three verses which just summarize a whole period of Jesus' ministry. I mean, we don't have like a day-by-day journal of his ministry. We have what God preserved that are the highlights that he wants us to have. But a lot happened in Jesus' ministry that we don't have. And you get that through these little summary statements like Matthew 9. 
And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. That's amazing. He went through preaching, healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. When Jesus saw needy people, he was moved by compassion. And thus he preaches the gospel to them, telling them of the kingdom, that the king has come, that their sins can be forgiven, and ultimately he goes to the cross and dies as a substitute for sinners, taking the wrath of God upon himself and being raised on the third day. So he proclaims that, verse says, the gospel of the kingdom, the good news that God has come to rescue sinners. Why does he do that? Because he has compassion on sinners. And cares for them, does, cares for them, wants to rescue them from eternal hell. But he also, in his compassion for them, went about at this portion of his ministry, healing every disease and every affliction. He also had compassion on people in their present temporal suffering, and at various times in his ministry, would heal them. I don't know about you, but that's an image we that I don't often lived with with all the time that that Christ is a compassionate king. Is, is that an image that, is, is, that you're quick to think of when you think of God? Mercy, pity, compassion. And this is a great time of the year because we're in Holy Week, what's known as Holy Week. Today's Palm Sunday and you know, headed up to Easter next week. So it's a great time of the year. But it's also kind of a bad time of the year because this time of the year is when on television, they'll, they'll wheel out all the really old Jesus movies from the 50s and the 60s and show these. And I don't know if you've seen these movies, not the new one or new ones, but these really dated ones that have a, I mean, I don't know where they got this, but the image of Jesus in these movies, he's usually gaunt. He is, he looks, uh, he looks stoic and looks a little just kind of out in space. He has vacant eyes and he's kind of robotic. Have you ever seen him? And the way he talks is really formal. And you're thinking, are you kidding? Would, would a group of children run to this individual and get around his knees? The Bible says they had to keep the children away from Jesus. And I don't know, that deal right there, I'm just not seeing the kids. Mommy, can we go see him? I'm thinking they're running the other direction because this guy looks kind of scary in the movies. And that guy is not compassionate. That actor that I've seen, compassionate is looking in your eyes, smiling, hugging, caring, listening, not you know, blessed be, you know, there's this kind of, whoa, droning on, it's foreign. So if that's your image from the 1950s and 60s Jesus movies, then we have a very poor image of Jesus. Jesus is full of compassion. When Jesus looked on a group of people, he said, they're like sheep that are helpless. They're like sheep without a shepherd. And the heart of God, he is God, the heart of God is represented as he tells them the good news that you can be rescued from eternal damnation. And he lays his hands on them and he heals people. That's the mercy of God. That's the compassion of God. And the character of God is unchanging. God looks upon us and sees us as those who are needy as well. God looks on crowds today and sees the same thing. He's not changed. And he's moved with compassion. And at times will heal and I believe always wills, if he doesn't heal, to sustain with grace. That's compassion as well, to empower and strengthen. But frequently will heal. 
today as well. Look at other passages. Matthew 14. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, He had compassion on them and healed their sick. He had compassion on them. Next passage, Mark 1. A leper came to Him, imploring Him, and kneeling said to Him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity. There's the word. Moved with pity. He stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. See, there's this category of words in the the Gospels. Compassion. He was moved with compassion. He had pity on the man. Or mercy. There's times where uh, there's a couple blind men at one part in the Scripture They cry out, Son of David, have mercy upon us. They want to be healed. They want to see. What do they cry out for? They cry out asking for mercy. This mercy, compassion, pity, that's characteristic of God. It's not all the Bible tells us about God, but it's a very important part of the ministry and the person and work of Jesus Christ that we want to have front and center in our thinking as we relate to God and as we relate to suffering people. That God is compassionate. Another quote from the Systematic Theology by Wayne Grudem, he says, healing brings comfort and health to those who are ill and thereby demonstrates God's attribute of mercy towards those in distress. God's attribute, his character, characteristic of mercy, which describes his person, is, is demonstrated as he heals sick people, those who are in distress. This is one reason Some people will look at the first point I said today and say, well, Jesus doesn't heal today because the reason he healed was to glorify himself. Would agree with point one, they would. So he glorified himself, but his healings were signs authenticating his his messianic ministry. So in other words, he healed so that people would know that he's the Messiah. I think that's true. But to then say from that he doesn't heal today because that was the only reason, I think you'd have to be able to demonstrate from Scripture that's the only reason he healed. If the only reason he healed was to demonstrate that he's the Messiah, then that's not necessary today. We have the Scripture which reveals he's the Messiah. But this second point causes me to believe that Christ heals today as well because his compassion has not changed. His mercy has not changed. His pity for suffering people has not changed. Jesus is not just going about saying, I've got to do this sign so everybody will know who I am. He is doing signs so that people will know who he is. But why? He's moved by compassion for suffering people. That's very important. Very important to understand that. Not only do we see compassion in Christ, but in the Father as well. You know, the Father has compassion. When we come to pray to God, we pray to God who is a Father and and has compassion on his children. I love what Henry Frost said about this. He said, there are two words which would bring to me the assurance that God, from time to time, will give healing to his children, even if there was not another word in the Bible concerning the matter. I refer to the Lord's Prayer and the words, Our Father. He says, if I had no other verses that taught on healing in the whole Bible, I'd have reason to ask God for healing by just the fact that we're told to address him as our father. Because fathers care for their children. Jesus said, hey, you're evil, but you know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more does the father in heaven give good gifts to his children? That's what he said. Part of the father, is to, his character is to give good gifts. Or think about Psalm 103. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. 
God shows compassion to needy people, just as a father does to his children. So we can pray asking God to have mercy and show compassion. To pray to our Father, it's a very intimate request to ask God to meet our needs. To glorify himself. God, would you, we ask for healing. Would you glorify yourself by healing? And you, would you be moved by compassion and mercy to touch me or to touch this person in their body and heal them? If that's your will in this matter. So that's part of the heart here. Another thing is that God heals in merciful response to faith. I want to talk about merciful response in a minute. But first of all, I just want to talk about the importance of faith in God as a healing God. It's important that we have a biblically informed conviction that God heals. It's important that we have a biblically informed conviction. We can look at the ministry of Jesus. We can look. Two weeks ago, we had a whole sermon on James 5. We can look at James 5, which says... Call for the elders of the church, not call for the apostles, not call for Jesus, because he's not there. He's already ascended. So call for the elders of the church, which were there and always are to be in the church. Call for the elders of the church, have them anoint with oil, and the prayer of faith will heal the sick person. We talked about how not every time, but frequently people are healed. So we can look at that verse. We can look at 1 Corinthians 12, which speaks of when the church comes together, that the Spirit will manifest himself in a lot of different ways. One way is through gifts of healings. So the Spirit manifests himself. So we want to look at the Scriptures and have a conviction. We want to pray for the sick people, those who suffer, because we have a biblical conviction, not because we have an experience. You know, I don't pray for sick people because I've got, man, a huge list of miracles that I could tell you about. And I'm not sure showing the slideshow of all the miracles I've personally witnessed. It might be a short slideshow. But I think we pray for the sick in response to the authority of Scripture and not our experience. That's very important. We don't make decisions based on, well, have I seen that or not? Well, I don't really want to pray. I haven't seen it before. Well, do you see it in the Scripture? I don't really want to ask for prayer. You know, I don't know. God hasn't healed me. Well, do we see that? We want to have faith according to the Scripture. One of the most powerful things I ever experienced with regard to healing was when I was in seminary. And uh, when I was in seminary, I, in the late 80s, I was in a class, and we took a healing field trip, literally. And what the field trip was, we took the class to a church that was led by a man who had taught at that point uh, a lot on this subject. His name is John Wimber. He's no longer living. He's with the Lord. But he had taught a lot about healing, and in their church, they had seen God heal many people. And so we were, as a class, going to go and, he, and uh, hear this pastor teach us And then uh, we were going to pray or receive prayer, and then we were going to go to their evening service where they were going to be praying for people in their church. So it was this moment to go hear John Wimber, who was um, noted as one who taught and prayed, and many people in their church experienced healing from God. So I don't remember a thing he taught. I don't remember anything about the time of praying afterwards, but I will never forget his introduction. He simply stood up there. We had this big notebook of huge, you know, all this kind of material on healing. And he just simply stood up and just said, hey, I'd like to let everybody know tonight I'm very sick. And uh, I've been praying for weeks that God would heal me, and he's not healing me. And I've had others pray for me, and God hasn't answered that prayer by healing me. So basically, I just want to let everybody know as we study healing Uh, I'm a sick man tonight in integrity. Now open up your Bibles to so-and-so, so-and-so. 
And it made a profound effect on me because I thought, he's not teaching based on his experience right in this moment. He's teaching based on the authority of Scripture. It's because God reveals himself as a healer that we pray for the sick. It's because God says, call for the elders of the church. It's because God says, when you gather, the Spirit at times will manifest himself, 1 Corinthians 12, in this way. It's because God teaches us that Jesus is one who has compassion on sick people. That's why, regardless of how we feel or what we have experienced, it just made a real lasting impact on me. Here's the reality. You won't pray for yourself and you won't pray for others if you don't believe God heals today. You won't. You won't pray with faith. So it's important to have a biblical conviction about that. Jesus oftentimes will... Uh, in the Scriptures, even interacted with people about their belief. Look at Matthew 9. As Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I'm able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith be it done to you. And their eyes were opened. According to their faith. I think this is another reason that we can't say that the miracles of the New Testament are all sign events that are to lead to faith. I think the miracles of the New Testament are intended to lead to faith, confirming that Jesus is the Christ. But some of the miracles don't lead to faith. They require faith. This is the case. In this case, it wasn't faith on the back end that they're looking for. Jesus will do a miracle, and then people will have faith. It's faith on the front end that's the condition for the miracle. So not all of the healing events of the New Testament are technically signs to bring uh, belief to those who observe them. In this case, it's necessary ahead of time. So he asked, do you believe? And they say, yes, we believe, Lord. We do believe. And he says, according, I'm answering your prayer. In other words, he's saying, I'm answering your prayer. You believe? I'm answering that request, and I'm going to heal you. Next passage is the passage of a guy who brings his son to Jesus. It's in Mark 9. His son is demonized, and through that, through, through that has, has, um, has physical challenges. He convulses. He has seizures. He's mute. Um, he's deaf. And uh, so they come to Jesus for help, and this is what the dad says to him. But if you can do anything, look at his request, Have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. And then he goes on and heals this child, delivers this boy from the demon that is oppressing him and heals him of the physical maladies that he was suffering because of that. He acts in response to faith. Look what Jesus says. He says, all things are possible to the one who believes. He's saying, believe, trust that I am who I am. Can I do it? You're asking if you can. Can I? Absolutely I can. And I will, in this case, all things are possible to the one who believes. But I love the honesty about this. The guy says, yes, Lord, I believe you can do it. Uh, Pretty much. I mean, that's kind of what he said. I believe you can do it right now in this second, but I'm not sure this is really a lasting faith. Help my unbelief. Lord, I believe you can do this. I'm like 90% there. I love the honesty. I believe, help my unbelief, and Christ responds to that. Why? Because this man is coming in faith, and he is dependent, and he is leaning on Jesus in desperation for his son. 
And the Lord answers that heart cry. Listen, if you're waiting to have perfect faith to ask God for something, especially for healing, then let's just die right now because nobody is going to have perfect faith. There's nobody that has sinless faith in Christ this side of heaven. And I, I think it's so kind of the Lord to include this passage in Scripture because it shows us that even with faith, generally speaking, that Jesus still answers and responds mercifully to people at their time of need. Who can't relate to this? I believe. Help my unbelief. I mean, that's, that's like, uh, that's life. I mean, write that one on my tombstone. That's, that's kind of how we, how we live our lives. We are guilty of unbelief and doubt and all kinds of things. But here God answers that, that prayer for him. Go down to, to letter B. Next point I want to make is that our faith does not require God to heal. In other words, because we have faith, God is not obligated to heal anyone. Healing is a merciful gift, and God will give that gift according to his choosing uh, in response to faith often. Faith is important. Faith is important because it's not something, faith is not something that we do to merit healing is what I'm trying to say. It's not like I have faith, so now God, pay up. It's not that at all. But Faith is the means that God gets the gift to us. So God gives the gift when he chooses to and desires to, but he does it through the, through the means of faith. That's how we receive what Christ has done for us. It doesn't have merit. It doesn't earn something, but it is the means that God uses. We read last week James 5. Is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray for him, anointing uh, him with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer of the faith will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So the prayer of faith, the elders are called to pray this prayer of faith. So Jesus actually, I'm sorry, James, under the inspiration of Scripture, actually describes this event as the, he calls it the prayer of faith, which communicates something about the attitude of those who are asking. There's to be a faith towards God, not demanding our way, but faith towards God that he will act as he chooses. Um, Or Mark 5. This is the woman who had been hemorrhaging, and she touches Jesus' garment, and she's healed. And then Jesus says to her, Go your way. Uh, I'm sorry. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. So faith is important. She trusted the Lord. That was an important means of her receiving what Christ had for her at that time. Or the blind man. There's a blind guy in the Bible named Bartimaeus. And Jesus heals him. And then Jesus says to him in Mark 10, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. So again, faith is a means that God gets the gift of healing to us. He, he responds throughout scripture we see God graciously not because he's obligated but graciously responding to faith it pleases God God is pleased by faith Um, there's a quote here at a book we have on the back table that you can get the bookstore back there you can get called our miraculous gifts for today this is written by Sam Storms I think it's a helpful statement he makes about believing God and then responding in faith to God with regard to healing Also, there's a ton of scriptures. That's why I gave you this quote, because he uses a lot of scriptures, a number of which are in this outline that I'm giving you today. But he says, Many in the church today say they believe that God still heals, but live as functional deists. A deist is someone who believes that God created the universe 
and then sort of backed off and allows just Kesara, Sarah, whatever it will be, will be just allows the sort of universe to run without him providentially uh, working and overseeing the, fa- the affairs of the world and causing things to happen. He just sort of turns it over to man. That would be one way to say it. So he's saying that many in the church believe that God still heals, but they live as functional deists, that is, as if God's not really active, who rarely, if ever, actually lay hands on the sick and pray with any degree of expectancy. Jesus laid his hands on the sick, as did the early church, and so should we. People pray expectantly when they humbly petition a merciful God for something they do not deserve, but know that he delights to give. Expectant prayer flows from the recognition that Jesus healed people because he loved them and felt compassion for them, a disposition that nothing in Scripture indicates has changed. Christ's compassion for the sick, nothing in the Bible tells us that that shifted or that he would act differently today. Well, what does this mean? How, how, what's to be our attitude and our approach to praying for the sick as we know, praying for those who have experienced injury, sickness, disease, these kinds of things. Well, I think, Roman number five, that we pray for healing and trust in God's sovereign purpose. Look at this prayer, we just, uh, or this request. We just reviewed it a few minutes ago, but, but I want to point out something again in Mark 1. A leper came to him, imploring him. Now, that's strong language, imploring. That's an urging, a pleading. Imploring him and kneeling said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he, Jesus, stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. That is a great model. He came imploring. He came to Jesus imploring, saying, I know you can if you will. If you desire to do this, I know you're able to heal me. So he was praying in faith, but he was trusting the will of God. He wasn't demanding, it must be your will. He wasn't claiming, it is your will. I mean, it is always God's will to heal ultimately, but not necessarily in this life. If you read the end of Revelation, all Christians will be before God's throne with no sickness, no pain, no sorrow, no tears. So one day, all Christians will be healed. But we may not presume upon God to say all will be healed right now, or that any individual must be healed right now. So this is a great prayer. Lord, we're coming to you. We're desperate. We're needy. And if you will, we know you can heal, for you are gracious and merciful and compassionate. So we ask you to act according to your will. And we know that if you don't, that you will grant sustaining grace. So enable us to praise you and celebrate you regardless. But we are imploring, he implored, we are asking, we are coming before you and saying, God, would you act according to your mercy? in this situation. That's a great, what I might say, balanced approach. If you will, you can make me clean. And I'm imploring. So that's a good passage to keep in mind. Henry Frost in his book said this, let us lay it to heart that Christ is still a miracle worker with as much power as when he went about on earth healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. As long as we give him the ultimate right of choice, and are as submissive and thankful to him when he says no as when he says yes, we may freely urge our physical claims upon him, and this with much expectation. Listen, if, we, if we'll come to the Lord and say, Lord, we submit to you, we trust you, we love you, we worship you, whether you say yes or no on this one, you're glorious, you're compassionate, you're merciful, and we're imploring you. We know you can, and we're asking, would you, would you heal us 
would you heal me according to your will? And it's what he's saying. If our attitude is, God, whatever, we love you and we trust you, then bring it on. I mean, that's what he's saying. Then we should freely urge our physical claims upon him. Again, this was written 100 years ago or something. So freely urging our physical claims on Christ. Um, he says that, uh, or, or in that Piper sermon I quoted earlier, he says we should therefore pray for God's help both to heal and to strengthen faith while we are unhealed. It is fitting that a child ask his father for relief in trouble, and it's fitting that a loving father give his child only what is best, and that he always does. Sometimes healing now, sometimes not, but always what is best for us. Skip down two quotes. Let us then not say God cannot heal and will not do so. Let us rather say God can heal and he will do so if it is for his glory. So if it would bring him most glory to heal in the situation, he'll do it. If he wants to be glorified through sustaining grace and empowering us to persevere in suffering, that's what he will do. But let's don't say he can't heal or he's not going to. Let's trust him. Let's press in. Let's urge our physical claims. Let's implore, saying, if, if you will, we know you can. There's a difference in praying expectantly and presumptuously. We, sh- we want to avoid praying presumptuously. The problem is that some people, in, in, in an effort not to be presumptuous, don't even pray expectantly. And that's not honoring to the Lord. To say, well, I'm not going to be presumptuous, so I won't pray at all, or I'll pray some prayer with no faith attached to it whatsoever. We want to pray expectantly. Lord, we're expecting that you will meet us, that you will, in this prayer, that you will touch, that you'll be moved by your compassion. We want to pray expectantly. Presumptuously is when we dictate to God, I have faith, so you must. I'm following you, so you must. I've got a Bible verse out of context, so you must. That's presumption, where you dictate to the sovereign God of the universe how he will act to serve you. That's God serving you rather than you serving God. We don't want to be presumptuous. But in an effort to avoid presumption, let's not lose all expectation. See, we want to have the balance of God is sovereign. God does not always heal. God is glorified when he works in his people's hearts by his spirit when they suffer. Yes, amen, all over the Bible. We want to believe that. We also want to believe, let's come to God and trust Him. Let's believe by faith He's a healing God. Let's bring our needs. Let's bring the anointing oil, James 5. Let's pray. Let's ask. Let's lay hands on the sick. Let's urge. Let's implore. Let's urge, urgently cry out to God and implore, asking Him to meet. Yes, that's in the Bible. The problem is when we get way out of balance, one way or the other. My concern for me and for us is that we're much more comfortable and probably better at this one over here. Kind of the Reformed theology part of the deal. God's sovereign and God's glorified through suffering. Yes, true. My concern is that we not ask expectantly. That we not believe that Jesus is acting today by his spirit in power as he does on the pages of Scripture. That he will choose to glorify himself through suffering? Absolutely. But that he will also choose to glorify himself through healing. Sometimes dramatically, sometimes slowly, sometimes quietly, sometimes dramatically, and in all times to glorify himself and to reveal the attribute of his mercy and his compassion for suffering people. See, my concern is that we just don't go here very often. And we live over here all the time. So when someone's suffering, we just instantly go to the glorify God in suffering verses 
when we also be thinking, that's true, but maybe it's glorify God as he does something that we're not even expecting that's powerful. And so let's expect him to do that. Let's stand together and, and pray and we'll close. Lord, thank you that you are a gracious God, Jesus. We thank you that even in your earthly ministry, while your primary mission was obviously to save souls, to rescue us from our sins, to rescue our bodies in eternity through resurrection bodies, while that was your primary mission, Lord, we also recognize that you had a mission of at times, touching people temporally and alleviating their suffering today. And we thank you. We love that about you, Lord, that you show your compassion. And I I pray that we would not be presumptuous, but, Lord, for most of us, that's not the greatest barrier here. It's that we would be guilty of unbelief, that we wouldn't even come expecting, that we wouldn't even ask. Lord, we want to be those who are faithful to ask in faith, and worship you, leaving the results to you. I pray that we'd be that kind of people, that we'd be that kind of church. I pray that we'd have people in our church that are singing the praises of God in the midst of their suffering as you sustain them miraculously. But we also pray we'd have people in our church that are singing the praises of God as you heal them miraculously as well. Oh God, thank you that you're kind and you're gracious and you're merciful. And we ask you right now, right now, to move in our midst and to touch those who here are suffering. Some suffering in relatively small ways, some suffering in relatively huge ways, but all suffering. We just ask you, God, that you be moved by your compassion and that you glorify yourself through sustaining grace and also by healing grace. In Jesus' name. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit www.gracechurchfrisco.org.